You know, roughly, usually, I should say, at this time of the year, um, usually the first Sunday, this being New Year's Day, but the first Sunday of the new year, uh, even if the New Year's Eve, Old Year's Night, whatever we call it, whether it falls on the Lord's Day or not, but this is the Lord's Day, never mind New Year's Day, this is the Lord's Day. And generally, you know, it's common that preachers would preach on things like, you know, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth to the things are before and pressing on toward the mark. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've done it, and I was going to do it again because I have different thoughts on it again. But this was led in my heart for the week from Christmas week right up. From that whole week, it was in my heart. You turn with me, please, to Psalm 40. Psalm number 40. Please keep in your prayers as well our our brother, Elder Glenn McMurray. He was to do the table as usual this morning, but he's unwell this morning. Please keep him in your prayers. Um, Psalm 40, and we're just going to read a few verses from verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the merry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside the lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done in Thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. It's not beautiful. It's not just beautiful. Father, thank you for who you are. You're loving, you're gracious. You're good, you're kind, you're merciful, you're long-suffering, you're patient, yet you're almighty. May your son be exalted and may he be lifted up in this word to our hearts this morning. May the Lord Jesus Christ have the preeminence And may he alone be seen and your spirit heard. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to every heart at whatever station in life, whatever position and place, whether it's people here who have gathered this morning or those that are watching live on YouTube or Facebook or whatever way, and later we pray for your blessing to be on them. You've heard the prayer requests we have brought before you this morning. We make mention of them, Lord, of the McKittrick family. We ask for your comfort. We ask that you'd draw near, that you'd strengthen them. Bless our brother Gary in the midst. Rebecca Alunga. Pray, Lord, for the healing of her body. 
a young woman. Pray, O oh God, that you would touch her, strengthen her family, her husband. For Timmy McGee, Lord, that you'd help his lungs to be clear of fluid and of all things that are besetting him. For Ian Davison, Lord, we pray for the healing of his body, the removal of the pain. We ask you, oh God, that you'd touch him. For Rosemary Huffy, we ask you, Lord, this morning that, Lord, that you would strengthen her and bless her and Cecil and the family. We pray, Lord, that you would touch Rosemary. Lord, there's nothing too hard for you. And for our elder Glenn, we pray that your healing hand would be upon him this morning. Lord, that you would strengthen him and lift him up and bless him. Encourage your people that are here. Magnify your name and glorify your son and edify your church. For Jesus' name's sake, I pray, and for his glory, I ask it. Amen. This morning, we want to speak on the subject. The title is, Out of the Mire, Out of the Mire, and Into the Choir. Out of the Mire, and into the choir. We see the mire, and we'll look at it in more detail in a moment in verse 2. The psalmist says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the merry clay, out of the mire. And then when we go into verse 3, it says, He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, into the choir. Out of the mire and into the choir. The first three verses of Psalm 40 are a personal song of thanksgiving to the Lord from David. And it's swiftly followed by a declaration of Yahweh's goodness. And the encouragement of David is in verses 4 and 5. David says, Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside the lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Count your blessings. Going into this year, be easily to think of maybe a tough year. Start counting your blessings. Start counting and looking at what God has done for us, what God has done for you and I personally in our own lives and our families. And maybe some of us have come through a really difficult time. Look for the blessing of the Lord in everything. Look for him because he's there. He's with you. He's never left you. and Neither has he forsaken you. The depths of despair in the first three verses of this psalm can be felt from the psalmist's soul. This is coming from the deep inner recesses of the heart of the psalmist. And the Holy Ghost is moving on him to draw it all out of him. To draw it out. Let the Lord, the Holy Ghost, draw it out. Draw out that which, was, which has broken you, which has hindered you, which has marred you. But the Holy Ghost minister to your heart this morning that which has kept you in a pit. 
a horrible pit, and in the marry clay. And from the depths of despair, the psalmist's soul starts to sing of what God has done and give a testimony of the Lord's grace and his life and his mercy. And so it's made relevant to the soul of the saint. When I read this, I see my life and my testimony. I see me when I read Psalm 40. The humanness, the humanness of David's heart and the absolute gratitude from his soul, from his deep spirit, the very humanness of of David's heart and this absolute gratitude of his soul is on display for us this morning. David has allowed himself to be opened up by the Holy Spirit that you and I will read it this morning, receive it this morning, believe it this morning, and take it home with us this morning as we look into 2023. And this should resonate with every child of God, listen, who has been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ who has been brought from the horrible pit of sin and shame, but also by every saint who has found themselves stuck fast in the merry clay of a troubled life. You know, people say, you come to Jesus and life will be rosy. Life will be floating on the cloud. Life will be easy. You know, you come to Jesus and that's not true. You enter the fight. You enter the battle. You partake in the war when you come to Jesus. Christ never misled anyone. He didn't say that all would be rosy in the garden and we would have no troubles, but he has promised to neither leave us nor forsake us. He has redeemed us, saved us from the horrible pit of sin. Stuck fast we were. Stuck fast in the miry clay with no hope. None could help bereft of all joy and true peace found in Christ. So let's look at the psalm this morning out of the mire and into the choir. Verse 1, we see the focused soul of David, the focused soul, fixed on him, fixed on the Lord, knowing that if God does not move, then God alone can save then. And if he doesn't come, then David feels his helplessness and his hopelessness, but his eyes are fixed on the God who he loves, Yahweh, the God whom he serves. He says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Notice, he waited patiently. Brothers and sisters, that's something that the Lord keeps dealing with me over. Patience. Patience. If I pull up the traffic jam, I'd drive a hundred miles round it. And everybody in the traffic jam would be there two hours before me. But I think I've won. Patience. Patience in what's next. Patience on him answering that prayer. Patience on him coming through. Patience on the answered hope. But we need patience. 
I waited patiently for the Lord. And this Psalm 40, if you, when you go home or whenever you get a chance, you read the two previous Psalms, and, and this is the run into Psalm 40, 38, 39. And you look at David's heart here, and he brings us right to where he was under pressure. Now, we can look at this and say, well, you know, when we were saved, and I do, I said it's my testimony, he brought me up also over in a horrible pit. But I'll be honest, as, uh, before we were saved, we didn't wait patiently on the Lord because we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We, we couldn't wait patiently on the Lord. In fact, we wanted nothing to do with the Lord. We knew not the Lord. But as a believer, we also have these times of horrible pits, even as believers, we have the Mary Clay experience. But wait patiently. Maybe your Mary Clay might be different than the person beside you, in front of you, and behind you. Your horrible pit may be different than mine and mine than yours. But God is teaching us to learn patience and to wait on him. To wait doesn't mean to sit and do nothing. It doesn't mean to... You know, to hide away and, and not to speak to the Lord and not to speak to anyone, not to seek out for any encouragement or help. It means to, to wait on the Lord in his word. To be closer to the Lord than ever. And in these times of trouble and pain and strife, it's then we can either, it's that we can fight or we can flee. It's the natural instinct of the human. And we tend to flee the Lord's presence. Maybe because the pit we're in is, we've let him down and we feel uh, the, 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 the lowliness, the lowliness of our spirit. But rather, run to the Lord rather than flee from the Lord. And fight your way through. Your feet are stuck in a Mary clay, maybe up to the ankles, some to the knees. Sometimes you feel the Mary clay's up to the throat. And you're just about breathing air. But nevertheless, your Savior hears you, knows. And you might say, why? And I don't have the answers, but I know this. I know if you wait upon the Lord, he will come. Notice in Isaiah 26 and verse 3, the focused soul... David says, I waited patiently. He's focused on the Lord. I'm in cold, wet, heavy clay on my feet, my legs. I'm sinking deeper. Notice Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed. Would you say stayed? Whose mind has stayed. Would you say whose mind has stayed? You see your mind. Your mind is a battlefield. And it's in the mind where wars are fought and lost. Or wars are fought and won. And it's bringing the thoughts of the captivity. And under the captivity and in the subjection of Christ and his word. And being stayed. Focused. Don't lose your focus. Focused. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. By the way, the word perfect peace, it's actually, the, the word for peace there is shalom. And it means more than just, well, you know, you, know, you might say, 
sometimes, ah, give my head peace. You just want a bit of peace and quiet. That's not what shalom is. Shalom means a fullness of peace, even in the storm. Spirit, soul, and body, knowing with a peace that he hears you, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he's with you. In fact, perfect peace is shalom, shalom. It means shalom. Perfect here is shalom. And there is a perfection of peace that comes from God alone, from Christ alone. The word stayed here is a little word we'll look at. and It's a word, somak. Somak. Listen to this. It means to place upon, to lay upon, to lean upon, to uphold. For example, uh, if... If you'll go to Psalm 37, and that's where I run down to verse 23. Psalm 37, verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Now take note of verse 24. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The word upholdeth is the exact same word as the mind Stayed. Stayed. And it gives the idea to lay hold on something. And listen what he says again, verse 24. Though he fall. Every one of us fall. Every single one of us fall. But isn't it good when we fall? Isn't it good to know we don't fall off the rock? We'll fall on the rock. Isn't it good to know that God's grace abounds over our sin? Now, we don't live in a habitual, continual uh, life of sin. We know that. But notice, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, Almighty God himself, he upholds him. See, when I should have been cast aside. See, when the Lord should have given up on me. See, when the Lord should have put me behind his back, when the Lord should have punished me and wanted nothing to do with me and left me stranded because I fall, because I'm a human. See, when all of that should have happened, so my God upheld me. My weakest of moments, my hardest of times, he lays hold on me. You see, he saves and he keeps. I'm not keeping me in the faith, you know that. I'm not keeping me. He's keeping me. He's keeping you. He upholds you. In your weariness, he upholds you. In your tiredness, he upholds you. When you're awake, he's upholding you. When you're sleeping, he's upholding you. That the hand of the Lord has laid hold upon you. And when you're feeling the worst of the worst and the lowest of the low, and you feel even down with depression, he says, it's not you that's keeping you, daughter, son. My hand is on you. I'm upholding you. Lord, I've failed you. Aye, but I love you. Father, I've let you down. Aye, but I love you. 
Sure, don't your children do things you don't approve of? You might have to chastise them whatever way, but you always love them. You love them. And the Lord upholds. If you want to know what to think of, will you turn with me to uh, the book of Philippians, please? For your mind to, to stay, be stead on Christ. Philippians, please, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And let's look, uh, say, from verse 6. Notice what the apostle tells us. Be careful for nothing. What the, word, the, the term be careful for nothing here means don't habitually worry about everything. Stop worrying. The apostle's saying to us, look, you're habitually worrying. You're, you're a worrier. Don't be a worrier. Be a warrior. And the idea here is, it's not that we're not to be careful in life, but what he's saying is don't habitually worry. Stop wearing yourself thin. Stop making yourself ill. You're a habitual worrier. You worry with everything. You worry. Notice what he says. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. Notice, in everything. So instead of habitually worrying, this is what you're to do. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. In other words, go into God's presence, he's saying. Stop worrying and bring it before the Lord, but leave it there. Notice, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, this is what he's leaving us with. This is the battle of the mind, and this is where we claim the victory. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, notice, think. Think on these things. And the word think means habitually practice thinking of these Maybe you have a bad habit of something. I'm told my bad habit is biting my nails. I've done it from as long as I can remember. Bad habit. My daughters tell me off. My wife tells me off. Everybody tells me off when they see me biting my nails. Always done it. Maybe you have a bad habit of worrying. That's a bad habit. Continually, habitually worrying. It's a bad habit. It destroys your peace, destroys your mind. Here Paul says, all these things that are true and just and pure and honest of a good report with virtue and so on, here's what Paul is saying. Make this your habit. Look for the positive in it. Look for what God is doing in it. Look for the Christ in it. For the glory of God in it. So, this word for kavah in Isaiah 26 and 3, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadily this focused soul or the focused mind of the man and the woman. Notice uh, the word kavah, and I'll do this one and we'll, not, we'll go on to the next point for time is flying. 
Notice this. In Isaiah 40 and verse 31, this is what the prophet says. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Notice it's positive. But they that wait, it's the same, whose mind is stead to be focused on the Lord, to be focused on what Paul has told us, to be habitually practicing, as it were, or thinking or keeping yourself focused in the Word of God when all, all this horrible pits around you, when your feet stuck in a merry clay and you have no help to get out of it and all others can't help you in it. The Lord gets into this pit with you. To lift you out of it. But they that wait, koval. It gives the idea of actually, um, it's like three, three cords being intertwined together, making a rope. That's you and the Lord. You're to be intertwined more, drawing closer to God, running into his presence, rather than running away or letting the temptations take you somewhere else. He says, run to him. For the name of the Lord is as a, what is it? Would you shout it out? The righteous, and they are saved. What way are you running? What way have you run all year? Where are you running to now? Maybe you can't because your feet are stuck in the mud. Isn't it strange how, although we have been redeemed and brought out of the pit of sin and despair, isn't it strange how things are flipped on their head in this day and age when now those who are really in the pit think that we're the ones who are not free but in bondage because we serve Christ. But it's really those who are in the mud, the mar, and the pit who think that we are the stick in the muds. <laughs> but really we're free. We're not under bondage. We're, the alcohol that used to bind me and addict me has no hold in me anymore. The drugs that used to take me at their whim and destroy my life, it has no hold in me anymore. And I say all of this with God's, in God's grace because I can tell you with an honest truth that, that I could see someone on drugs or drink and feel pity for them rather than it draw me away toward it. You know why? Because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Drawing near to God, not rolling out uh, the duvet over your head and saying, I'm not going out today. Not saying, well, Lord, I'm no good, so I might as well just enjoy my life, eat, drink, and be merry, as the man said, who built his barns bigger. And the Lord says, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. No, 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 it's Lord. I'm running into you. I'm hiding in you. I'm under the shadow of your wings. I'm trusting in you. I'm believing in you. And I'm in a pit, but I know you're going to lift me out. Whatever your life has, whatever 23 brings along your way. So the focus soul, moving quickly, there's secondly in Psalm 40, please, there is the fearful soul. 
the fearful soul. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the merry clay. In this first half of the verse, this is the feeling of the verse. And what I mean is the psalmist's feeling of this pit. It's, it's, it's marred and marked and scarred his being. But look, scars are okay. Do you know that? It shows that you have overcome. It shows that you're still alive. It shows that you have become a victor rather than a victim. It shows that you're still here. Scars are okay. I have a scar on my big toe. <laughs> I have a scar on my big toe, and every time, I, well, I don't really see it because it's under the bottom of it, but every now and again, you know, if, if I see it, it reminds me of a time when I split my foot open. But I'm all right. It's a scar. But if I hadn't have got it looked after, cleaned up and stitched up, we have nurses here. I tell you, I'm sure we'll go infectious. Isn't that right, Rebecca? Wouldn't it? Go all inf- You'd get a big toe about this height, wouldn't you? And all, all the pus and the goo will come out of it. Won't put you off your dinner. <laughs> but you have to allow the Lord to clean that hurt up. Give it to him. Show him, as it were, the scar. Let him wipe it clean. Let him take out the dirt and the muck and the mire of it. And and let him, as it were, stitch it together. And you'll have a scar. But it shows you've come through this. It shows that you've been a victor in this. It shows that you're still here. You're living, you're breathing, you're alive. It shows that you are more than a conqueror in this. Scars are okay. It shows you have a life lived, especially if it's a spiritual scar. A scar where you've been marred. Now, I have one scar on my big toe, physical, but I have, I don't know many scars I have spiritually. People who's hurt you, people who you've helped and they've run you down into the ground, people who have stabbed you in the back, Do you know why they're stabbing you in the back? Because that's where they're meant to be, behind you. I have scars, spiritual all over me. My pastor used to say, you know, I've been kicked up the rear end that much, he says, of a head like an elephant. (laughs) And I used to wonder as a young Christian what he meant. Now I know. And you know, because things happen in your life with close friends and things who, even in church, and and it shouldn't happen, but it hurts most, either in family or church family. You know why? Because it's not meant to happen. But they know how to hurt you the most. The psalmist says, oh, my old familiar friend who went up into the house of God with me, who broke bread with me, stabbed his heart. And the fearful soul fears for living life. Listen, if you stay in fear, you're not living in faith. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The term here he brought me up also out of an horrible pit. 
see the word horrible here? It's really strange. And I hope I can put this over right because it, it took me a while to try and work out the... And I don't even know if I've still got the full import of the Hebrew text. But it took me a while of thinking about it and pondering on it and, and, and reading up on it. And there wasn't too many who could give me too much. But the word horrible here is a word sha'on. And it means, listen... We think of something horrible, you know. How do you describe horrible? Horrible is something that happens to you. Horrible is something that is maybe done to you or something as horrible as ugly to look at. The walls of a pit. But that's not what it means here. The word horrible or sha'on means, listen, noise. Like a roar. Or a noise of many waters. Or listen, it can mean like the sound of a mighty battle. You know, the armor, the swords, the spears, the shields, the shouting, the yelling, the crying of those that are hurt. gives the idea of a noise of destruction like two armies clashing together in a battlefield and cutting each other to bits. It's a word for horrible here, Sharon. This is some of the, uh, the meanings of it. And you wonder, how does the psalmist put that into a horrible pit? What has that got to do with it? Well, stay with me. See, Adam Clark, in his commentary, he said that he would call it the sounding pit. The sounding pit. So this is what I've written. The horrible pit is, horrible here, or sha'on means, it's a din of a sound. It's a never-ending sound of noise, possibly the hollow sound of wind with continuous echoes. This is what I've picked up from different people, with continuous echoes. And the the thing about it is, is some of the pits were pear-shaped. We think of a big pit, big square, and somewhere, but there was like a pear-shaped under the ground, and it held water. They dug out the ground and it held water, and hence it would hold more water as it came up to the top, and there they could lower in their buckets. And some were prisons like that also. And if you ever get a milk bottle, <laughs> you blow over the top of it. Who's ever tried to play a milk bottle before? A whole lot of us have, haven't we? Oh, you're trying to blow a tune out of it, and you just, it's hopeless. It's the idea. Only it's like a crashing sound of armies coming together. And down in this bottle, it's that sort of a noise coming continuously around the place. But it's all mud. It's slippery. And the sediment is at the bottom. The merry clay. So here's the two wee questions. First of all, what must the sounds of lost souls be like when they are judged and found guilty? Horrible pet. The sound of this is continuous. The sound of this is driving me insane. Horrible pet. What must the sound of the lost souls be like? The multitudes of them that are found guilty and in their sin. The Lord Jesus, seven times in the Gospels, Uh, If my memory serves me right, six times in the book of Matthew and once in Luke, and he mentions where there would be a weeping 
a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched this hell. What must the sound be like? I've lost those. Without reprieve, no escape. And secondly, what horrible noise or din or sound is in your ear? What's ringing around your head that keeps you in a state of the merry clay? Continuous thoughts or someone's continuous speaking. See if you're in negative company all the time. It'll make you negative. It'll draw you down. It'll kill you. Why don't you make this 2023? And I've told myself, I'm going to do it. I'm here to help and to try and encourage. And yes, I'll continue to do all of that. See someone who's always negative, 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 always attacking, always aggressive. Why don't you say, you know what? This year, Lord, my focus is you. This fear of all of this negativity is gone. And I'm pressing on with you. If they want to live negative, if they want to live aggressive, let them. But move you on to the glory of God. Let me round this up a few moments. So this is a horrible pit. It's an escapable pit with Mary Clay. A pit where the longer one stays, the deeper one sinks. The longer you stay in that condition, in that place, the deeper you sink in what you're in. The Syriac and the Arabic translations of the word of God, you know what they call it? The pit of perdition. And the mud of corruption. Whatever that pit is. The word marry here is the word yovin, which means the dregs. They're dregs of life, the dregs of the past. Listen, your past is gone. Do you realize when you come to Christ, your past was two seconds ago? Your past wasn't ten years ago. Yes, that's in your past. But when you come to Christ with what you have, and even if you have failed and let him down, he's upholding you. Your past is two seconds. One second ago, as soon as you have come and, as it were, and repented of that, your, your, your past is gone. Washed in the blood. Forgiven. Cast into the sea. In the depths of God's forgetfulness. You know, in Isaiah 14, we'll not look at it, but if you want to look at it, it's, it's the chapter known as the five wills of Lucifer. I will ascend the throne of heaven, and I will be like the most high. And, and this is what the Lord says to Lucifer, yet thou shalt be brought down to the sides of the pit. It's the same word in the Hebrew here uh, for pit in, in Psalm 40, a horrible pit. It's a word, bore. 
He says, you'll be brought to this pit, Lucifer. And when you read Revelation 20, you see it. The devil's cast in. Comes to pass. Let me just throw a few things out there. We've only one meeting today. Sure, we can do it in the next 10 minutes, can't we? Stretch it out. Isaiah 51 and 1 says, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Notice, look unto the rock from whence ye are hewn. Look to who you're from. Look to the father of the faith and the father of the race, as it were. And he's saying, listen, Israel, look at it. Look to Abraham. Notice, and the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. And where was he dug from? Stargazing, you know, all of this. Uh, new ageism that's coming into the church. Do you know Abraham was delivered from that? Taken from that. That's the whole of the pit. Now, I don't know if you stayed up last night and you watched. I promised Alison I wasn't going to talk about this. I'm not lying, love. I was just was saying, I was just a wee bit. I'm not talking about that other bit. I don't know if you watched the, the, the fireworks that go off. I was in bed for 11 o'clock and I had to wait on my daughter's phone on me to tell me they were all right and that they loved me. And, and then I could go to sleep. But everything was all about wokeism. don't know if you picked up on it or not. Go watch it. No, maybe you shouldn't. It's all about wokeism. Broadcast of the world and to the people, and it's all these, and the people in their thousands, and, and unwittingly, and, and, and they, they don't know they're doing it, they're blinded by this, and there they go, and they're all cheering at these things. And you know, and one of the voices that comes out as they're speaking, they had uh, the, the Queen speaking, then they had Charles speaking, uh, and you know, these drones, and they were sort of making shapes of their heads and the coins and stuff like that. You know, Charles was all about the, the, the green agenda, pushing it on the people. Then there was the 50 years of the LGBT. Do you know what they know what they said? It came out, the voice comes out. I'm not sure. I think I know who it was that said it, but I don't want to say in case it wasn't him. But the big voice booming over London. We're queer. We are here. Now you must get used to it. See this, it's become a religion. And it's false. It's a hole of a pit that our nation is in. It's a, it's a, a place where the Lord brought them out of Egypt, Israel out of Egypt. Persecution he brings them out of. And the Lord is saying, look unto these things that aren't good for you. And don't go there. Don't go back to them. Many Christians, they like to go back to these things because of the time of year. Do you know? I don't know if I told you I wouldn't say this, but or not. So I don't want to lie. I know I was talking about something else. I know I'll not say that, but just in case. I don't want to make myself a liar. But I didn't say I wouldn't say this, but... Do you know 
we have New Year's Eve or Old Year's Night, whatever people, well, it's New Year's Eve and it's Old Year's Night, whatever it is, I don't care. But do you know why it's a New Year's Eve and an Old Year's Night? Because the God Janus was a God of two faces. One face looked back the way and the other face looked toward the year coming. Old Year's Night was the face looking back. New Year's Eve was the face looking to come. The goddess Janus, or the god Janus. That's why you get the name January. I don't mean to spoil your night last night. No, I'm just saying. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not saying. I've, done, I've been up many a night like that myself. But notice this. God's saying, come out of this. Don't be allowed. See, when Christians think, well, it's Christmas time. Sure, we'll just go out on the terror and then we'll repent again. Do you know what it's better to obey than sacrifice? It's better to obey the Lord than to sacrifice after it. Because you know why? Because you end up in the pit. You look and say, well, where are you, Lord? And the Lord says, well, sure, you walked away. You didn't want me. You walked away from me. In Jeremiah 38, and read the chapter when you go home. In verse 6 it says, Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon. The word dungeon there is the word borer. It's the same as pit. It's the exact same word of Malachiah, the son of Hamalak. That was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords in the dungeon. Listen, there was no water but mire. See, this was one of these big water bottles, as it were, underground, this pit. There was no water but mire. Listen to what it says. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. And Jeremiah was there for what? Speaking righteousness. Jeremiah was there for standing up for the word of the Lord, for proclaiming unto the nation and unto the people the unrighteousness and the unjust laws and the godlessness and the heathen practices that Israel were doing. And here now, it's the princes of Judah. They'll take him, they lure him down into this. That'll finish him off. You see, we're going to be persecuted for the faith. But it's whether we have something in us of the Lord that'll keep us. In verse 38 of, pardon me, chapter 38 and verse 13, it says, of a man called Abedmelech, the Ethiopian eunuch, with 30 men, lowered cloths tied together to the ends of ropes. You know why they put cloths under the ends of the ropes? Because he was that sunk in the mire, they couldn't get him out, and he would cut his armpits with the ropes, lowering him out. So they put cloths in, and he put them under his armpits. Verse 13 says, So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him out of the dungeon. Brothers and sisters, there are those whom you've tried to help and warn for their own good, but they in return let you down into the mire. And they've tried to get rid of you, out of sight and out of mind, and some may even gloat if they see you discredited and suffering. Then there are those who will lift you up because they see it is the right thing to do, as also might need this kindness themselves sometime. Remember, we need to be kind because at times we're going to need kindness. The Lord sends help and relief in Jeremiah's dungeon and his pit. And the Lord sends encouragement and blessing from places 
on people that we expect it the least from. There are some people in the bless you and that's the person you expected the least. Wow. And it comes from them. It just hits you like the freight train, you know. Wow. The Lord sent a eunuch, not a prince. That's why you, that's why you are important, church. People are looking for everything and everyone else. Say, but the blessing's in you. You're the blessing. I have too much. I'm going to have to stop. So Psalm 40. You've brought me up also out of a horrible pit from the merry clay, set my feet upon a rock, established my goings, put a new song in my mouth. Then he says, even praise unto our God, many shall see it and shall fear and so trust in the Lord. That's his testimony. That's his testimony. But here's the thing. That's out of the mire and into the choir. Read Revelation. Read them four times. Oh, I'm going to... Revelation 7. Revelation 5. Revelation 20, 19 or 20. Anyway, there's four. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. And the multitudes who are worshiping the Lord around the throne, the great throng and multitude, it's a great choir. And the Lord has taken you out of all of this, out of the mire, and into the choir. Did you see in the last week or so, the girl arrested for praying inside her head, in her own head, in England, praying in her head, in public, outside an abortion clinic. They asked her, was she protesting? No. She had no placards. She had nothing. No one with her. She's standing there. Out on the footpath, the public way. Praying in her head. And the policeman says, are you praying? She says, well, it might be in my head. Arrested her, charged her on four accounts of breaking the law. Four accounts of breaking the law. And here's another thing they took her and done a full body search on the woman. Just there last week. You see, they're in the mire. They're in the mar. See that woman praying in her head? She's in the choir. I don't want to carry it off on another tangent here, so we're going to round this up. Bless you. Lord, keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto thee and give thee peace. Tim, would you come up, please?